it's just amazing how God works. Um, I came in here this morning a little unsure about the message. The Lord had been dealing with, with me on it this week and yesterday, and I still just was like, Lord, is this what you, is this what you want me to preach? And here's how God works. So first of all, Brother David got up here before Sunday school and read there from Titus, and the the message that he read was exactly on point with the message I'm going to be preaching today, Titus 3 and 7, which spoke of eternal life. And then Brother Scott gets up here, and he's he's teaching through our Sunday school lesson in 1 John, and he gets to that part in 1 John chapter 4, and he relates it back to John 3.16, and where we're going to be taking the scripture from this morning. And so it's like that was the perfect trifecta. And I said, thank you, Lord. I know now exactly what it is you want me to preach. And so having said that, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, and I want to look at verses 1 through 18 this morning, Lord willing. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And you can just remain seated. I'm going to read all this text to begin with. And then we'll get right into the message. John chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye have not ye received not our witness. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying now that you help us as we try to preach. God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that phrase there in verse 15, but have eternal life. And in that phrase in verse 16, but have everlasting life. 
And that's what, Lord willing, we're going to be preaching about this morning, the doctrine of eternal life or everlasting life. Either one, it doesn't matter, they're both the same. Uh, this message, really, and this subject has really been uh, controversial over the last 2,000 years, and you wouldn't think it would be because God's Word is very clear, very plain on what it means to have everlasting life and eternal life and, and what it is that you must do to have that and, and what you don't have to do to have that. And so it's pitted, you know, brother against brother, sister against sister, church against church, um, you know, just uh, every denominations against denominations. Some believe one way, some believe the other. Uh, for many of you, of course, you know this. You're, you're solidified in your knowledge of God's Word, and you understand it perfectly. And so uh, maybe, you know, this is just a lesson in futility for you. But for some, maybe this will help you. You may be one of those that was a lock, like a lot of people that I know that's been confused on this subject and, and don't understand and, and, and think possibly that there's somehow that a person could lose their salvation. And so we'll be looking at some of that today, kind of the, the where, the what, the who, and the why of salvation, the doctrine of eternal life. Now that, that word, or those two words, eternal life, is found 26 times in our New Testament here in the King James Bible. And that term everlasting life is used 10 times in our King James Bible. And so it's very important when God repeats things over and over and over, we need to, we need to say, hey, I need to pay attention here. Uh, certainly we need to pay attention to all God's word because it's perfect, it's infallible, there's not a, a problem or an accident or a mistake in this, in this Bible. But when you start seeing things repeated over and over and over, you're saying, what, what are you trying to tell me, Lord? And so we're going to look at this, these things. Now, that opening text, very familiar passage of scripture. You probably remember it from a young child if you went to Sunday school. We think about old Nicodemus, you know, sneaking up in the middle of the night trying to talk to Jesus and find out how he can have eternal life and, and Jesus telling him how he can do it and he's confused and thinking he's got to crawl back in his mother's womb and be born again and all this, this kind of thing. Uh, I always found that humorous when I was uh, a kid. I mean, even as a, as a young child, I understood what, what Jesus meant. And so, uh, no wonder Jesus kind of calls him out on it there. He says, well, he says, you don't understand these things. You're a master of Israel and knowest not these things. And so, it, you know, it's more than just, uh, having head knowledge or educational. Uh, it's spiritual. It's something that you understand through, through the spirit. And so this doctrine of eternal life. First of all, the, what is eternal life? Well, we know what that word eternal means. It means forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't ever stop. Everlasting and eternal, they're, they're the same definition. <laughs> it doesn't end. And so we need to understand that salvation does not end. If you've been saved, it doesn't end. You can't unsave yourself if you've been saved. You can't do that because it's everlasting. It's eternal. Now, we know how we're saved. The Bible tells us this over in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, in that text, Paul, he's speaking to that church there in Ephesus, and he's speaking to them about the method of salvation 
Now, you think people are confused today about salvation. You ought to go back in Paul's day. Well, they really were confused. They didn't understand this. They'd grown up, the Jews had grown up thinking they've got to work their way into the promised land. They've got to do something. And uh, that's the way it was. They kept the law. If they kept the law, then everything was good. They broke the law, things were bad. Uh, but they, to have eternal life, they didn't, they didn't understand how they could achieve that. That's why Nicodemus came to him. I mean, here's one of the smartest men in the land coming to Jesus and asking him, how can I have eternal life? And that's why Jesus said, you mean you don't know this? And so these things are perceived through the Spirit and by the Spirit. But here, the, uh, Paul's telling the church here, look, that old way that you are so familiar with of being under the law and keeping the law and doing this and doing that and working here and working there, trying to work your way into something, well, none of that stuff applies anymore because there is a new covenant. That new covenant came through the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the last sacrifice that ever needed to be made. You see, the Jews wanted to continue on with the sacrifices. It, it was their religion. It was their tradition. It's what they did. You know, it's just like us Baptists. I mean, we're going to go to church on Sunday. Sunday morning rolls around. We're going to go get up. We're going to go to Sunday school. We're going to go to morning service. We're going to, you know, wear what we always wear. We're going to sit in the same pew that we sit in every Sunday. It's, it's just our way. It's our tradition. And so when something changes about that we're, we're like oh no <laughs> what am i gonna do you know it's like when covid hit and, and had to had to meet in the parking lots and everything else and people's like what in the, what in the world you know where's my pew <laughs> and so that you can only imagine how confused the jews were when all of a sudden you know they're saying well look there's no more sacrifices there's no more of the keeping of the law to maintain you know your ability to be able to reach the kingdom of god or anything like that and so they didn't have the luxury of having a King James Bible. They could open up and say, oh, yeah, well, right there it is. By grace through faith we're saved. You know, instead of through a, through a bull or a goat or, or a, a lamb or whatever it was and, and their works. Now, many in that day came behind Paul and they were teaching a false gospel. They were saying, oh, yeah, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus, but you also have to do this. You've got to keep the law. You've got to do the circumcision. You've got to uh, make the sacrifices. And so you've got to abstain from eating this and that. And boy, they really had people messed up. So these false teachers would creep in. The Bible called them creeps. They crept in and uh, before anybody knew it, unaware. And so they would creep in unaware into the church and start, you know, uh, telling this person, well, you know, if you're really going to be saved, you've got to maintain these laws. You know that. That's what God's always told us. And so don't listen to this man, Paul. So Paul had to always come back. That's why he wrote all these letters. Writing these letters to the church say, don't listen to those guys. They're false teachers. Listen to me. That is not how it's done anymore. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ that you're saved, and it's by grace through faith and not of yourself. You see, they wanted to do it themselves. Isn't that what we all want to do when we do everything ourselves? I do. You know, if you want something done, do it yourself. That's the way I was brought up. And so uh, that's what we think. we got to do something. And it's so wonderful if we have a list, too. You know, I could get in this, this notebook here and make a list of things and check it off every time. You know, say, well, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. And, Lord, what's next? It's like the rich young ruler that come to him. Well, I've kept all those things from my youth, you know. And I've never done this and done that. And, you know, he was, he was shocked when, when the Lord showed him the, what he needed to do. And it wasn't about himself. It was to empty yourself of yourself and realize that it's through Christ that you're saved. It's only through him.
And so that's what Paul's driving home. He says, for by grace are you saved. And grace, by, by the way, means unmerited favor. It means something you did not deserve, but someone gave to you anyway. Unmerited favor, grace, are you saved through faith. What's faith? It's belief. It's believing something without having to see it. And so that's what faith is. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to save us from our sins. We believe that. If you believe that, then you can be saved. And so by grace through faith you say or by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself so you didn't do it. You didn't, you couldn't work your way there. You couldn't pay your way to be saved. It was a gift. That's what it says next. It is the gift of God. Now we all know what a gift is. It's something you give someone or someone gives you. It's free. You don't get charged for a gift. And so it's a gift. Somebody, if somebody gave you a gift card for Christmas, that's your gift card. You didn't pay for it. They paid for it. And so it's your gift. And you can go to the store or go to Amazon and put in your number and get what you want. And so it is free given to you. And so it was hard for them to understand that and get it through their thick heads. And for some reason, it's hard for people today to get it through their thick heads as well. And so we've got people today teaching and preaching almost the same thing that these false teachers were doing, saying, oh yeah, you've got to believe in Jesus, but if you don't do this, then you're not going to be saved anymore. If you didn't repent immediately after something that you sinned, then you're going to lose your salvation. And you know, there are... Thousands of people today walking around on pins and needles, worried to death that if they do one little thing and they don't immediately repent of it, that God's going to uh, unsave them, and if they died, they'd go straight to hell? There's people that believe that. I know people that believe that. And they are a mess, a awful mess. And that's not what God intends for us to be, a mess. He intends for us to understand that His uh, His salvation is is by grace through faith, and it's His Gift to us. He gave it to us. He didn't come up and give it to you and say, Nope, I'm taking it back. Oh, you messed up. Give me that back. Has anybody ever come to your house after Christmas and because you made them mad and they said, I'm coming in and getting my gifts back? They've never done that. I hope not anyway. Uh, but God doesn't do that. He's not going to come back and say, I'm, I'm taking my gift of salvation back because you messed up. But there's people that believe that he does that. And so... I've always had the, the thought behind it. If God's not big enough to keep me saved, then he certainly wasn't big enough to save me in the first place. Because if I've got to do something to keep saved, then I should have been able to do something to get saved. But the Bible says it's just not of ourselves. So obviously there's a problem there with that thought system. And the Bible tells us that Christ died once for sin. If you get, if you lose your salvation after a sin, then that means Christ has to go back and die again to forgive you. But the Bible says he died once for salvation, once for sin. And so where do people, how do they come to the conclusions that God needs our help somehow to keep saved? If he needs my help, he's in big trouble because I'm going to mess up. So God don't need my help. He don't have to have my help at all to keep me saved or to save me in the first place. And so when I hear people say, well, you can lose your salvation, I'm here, this is what I hear, you know, God's not really powerful enough to save somebody forever. It's not good enough to keep you saved. That's what I'm hearing when they tell me they can lose their salvation. 
I mean, well, I don't know about you, but that's what I hear. And so how dare someone think that God needs us to remain saved? He's powerful enough and almighty enough to save every single person on the face of this earth and keep them saved. And so, as we said, salvation is the gift of God. That's what it said in Ephesians 2 and 8. It's the gift of God. Now, look, I'm 116th Cherokee, so I can claim this today without getting too much trouble, but God's not an Indian giver. Yeah, You heard that term? You're not supposed to say it anymore, by the way. Facebook probably just kicked us off. I'm sorry. And so, but since I can claim some Cherokee blood, then uh, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, God is not an Indian giver. He doesn't give something and then take it back. So how dare these people claim that that's what God is? Now, who does this come from? Well, Romans 6 and 23 Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, we know over and over and over the Bible tells us that. The penalty for sin is death. The wages for sin is death. You know, you sin, you're going to die. That's all there is to it. When that first sin was committed in the Garden of Eden there by by Adam and and Eve, but Adam, the Bible says that's who who sin came from to, to mankind. And so because of that first sin, the sin was passed down to every man and woman Ever, forever. And so, um, it brought forth death. We know man and and woman was designed to live forever. Disease-free and clothing-free, by the way. But uh, all these luxuries that we had that God gave us, uh, it was supposed to be forever. But because of sin, death came into the world. You know that cancer that you may have had or might have now or somebody that died that you... Loved because of sin, that cancer came. Now, I'm not saying because they sinned, they got cancer. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there would be no cancer if there had never been any sin entered into man. There'd be no sickness, no disease, no heartache, no death. What a wonderful uh, place this would be. And it's going to be that way again one day, by the way. And I've talked about it going, going home, you know. Got uh, got that inheritance, going to go there. And there'll be none of this crazy stuff that happens down here. But the Bible says there again, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it uses that term again, says is eternal life. Eternal life. And what did we say this was about? The doctrine of eternal life. The doctrine of life everlasting, everlasting life. And so the gift of God is eternal life. Now, why would God tell you one day that, you know, I'm going to give you eternal life. Listen, you're going to live forever. And in the first time that you sinned, you thought in your head something, a lustful thought, a sinful thought, or something like that. God said, boom, no longer, buddy. You're not going to have everlasting life. I just took it back. You're going to go to hell and burn. What kind of God is that? That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God of the Bible. And so God doesn't do that. The truth is, we're all sinners. And you know, there's people today that claim once you get saved, you never sin again. That's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that nonsense. Now, the Bible does say we become a new creature, you know, and there's an old man, though, the Bible talks about, that lives inside of us who battles with the new man. And so the new man and the old man, they battle, so you're going to have that sin nature regardless. It's going to be there. Now, the new man inside of you is not going to sin, but the old man does. The old man will continue to sin. He'll, you will continue to sin until the day that you die. 
And no, no doubt you'll sin before you even get home today. That somebody's going to cut you off on the road or something. You're going to think a bad thought. You're going to sin, whatever it may be. And, you know, if you were losing your salvation, you'd lost it before you got home today. I'm so thankful today. I don't have to worry about that. But the truth is, there's not a single person going to heaven because sin dwells or they wouldn't go because sin dwells in every one of us and it wars together with that man. But listen to what Paul says. Now, we point to Paul as being, I heard somebody the other day say he was the greatest Christian uh, in the world outside of Christ. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but I believe he was probably the greatest preacher and the greatest uh, evangelist and the greatest missionary uh, outside of the Lord Jesus. But uh, this is what he wrote. And by the way, this was after he was saved. Romans seven fourteen through 25. Paul writes this, inspired by God. He's just the human penman. God saying, write this down, Paul. Romans 7 and 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I, I not but what I hate that I do. Now, don't start thinking this is some kind of Dr. Seuss riddle or something like that. It's not. If you look at this exactly the way it says, you will understand it clearly. Put yourself in Paul's sandals and say, this is me speaking, and you'll understand it very plain. I, I guarantee you will. He says, that thing that I, I, I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. I keep doing it. I don't want to do it, but that is exactly what I'm doing. And I hate that, he says. I hate it. Romans 7 and 16, if then I do that which I would not, I can sin under the law that it is good. Now, when it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Now, I know exactly what Paul's talking about. You try and you try and you try to walk hand in hand with the Lord. You, you try your best to walk the straight and narrow. You try, but your trying fails. And the next thing you know, you're, you're off the, the path again. Uh, you've fallen again. You've, you've gotten into some kind of uh, place that you shouldn't be. And Paul says, uh, that's, that's the kind of man I am. He said, I'm sold under sin. You know what that means, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you've been sold. Paul says, I'm sold under sin. Verse 19, for the good I would not, that I do. I can see it. Yeah, I'm trying my best, but <laughs> I just can't do it. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So what he, what he means when he's saying that, the new man in me, the new creature in me, the one that's saved, that's not the one doing it. It's that old me that's inside of me, that sin that dwells in me, sin that's down in there, that sin I've been sold to. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And it is. Anytime you try to do good, Satan's right there behind you. He's, he's clicking at your heels there and he's trying his best to mess you up. Being a stumbling block, he'll run out in front of you and throw something down to mess you up when you're trying to do good. And so uh, he says, when I would do good, evil's present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul's talking about this battle that's going on inside of him. It's good versus evil. It's sin versus, versus righteousness. And he says it's always going on. It's inside of me and it's just, it's fighting back and forth. 
You know, it's it's like a WWE uh, wrestling match, you know. And he's in there and, and going at it. Verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And so he realizes that he really can't do anything about it except for turn to God for help. And do you see what he said? Oh, wretched man that I am. He did not say, oh, wretched man I was. Or wretched man I used to be. Or the wretched sinner that I was before I got saved. No, he said the wretched man that I am now. And so I can go up and I can go look in the mirror and say, Wretched man that I am. Yes, I was saved. Yes, I'm still saved. Yes, I'm eternally saved. But I'm still a wretched man in my flesh. Warring against me. But thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul tells us here that sin lives inside of him. He wars against it constantly. He hates it, but he realizes that alone he cannot do anything about it. But only through the Lord Jesus Christ is he able to overcome. Now, you can put your name right there in place of the Apostle Paul. I can say to myself, Byron, sin lives in you. You're carnal. You're fleshly. You're going to sin. Every time you try, you'll mess up. And every time you're trying to do good, the devils will come along and try to mess you up. But you better run to the Lord because he's there for you. He'll help you out of that. So I'm thankful of what the Bible says in 1 John 2, 1 through 2. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right, that word right there, advocate. Don't get confused. It just means one who's an intercessor. It means somebody who pleads on your behalf. Somebody that takes over in your place and pleads your case. And that's what Jesus does. The Bible says he's our advocate with the Father. The Father is God. And so who's our mediator? It's Christ Jesus, that man Christ Jesus. And so when we want to speak to God, when we've sinned, and we want to come before God and get forgiveness, we go to Jesus. He's our, he's our uh, advocate and our uh, uh, Propitiation, the Bible says propitiation, that means the atonement or appeasement. That means he's pleased God's wrath for sin on himself. He did it on himself. Not us. We didn't have to to pay for our sins. Christ paid for them. We got it scot-free. It's the gift that he gave us. And so, yes, we're going to sin. And I dare say, like I said earlier, you may sin before you even get home. And, uh, you know, what if... We were driving home, Lord forbid, and something happened. We had sinned, and uh, somebody hit us, you know, head on, killed us immediately before you got a chance to say, Lord, please forgive me for that. I, you know, what if that happened? Well, there's some religions today that will tell you, well, that person went to hell. Really? So the Lord could not keep them saved? So he's a failure? Is that what you're saying? It's not what the Bible says. And so the Lord Jesus, because of what he did for us, that free gift that he gave us of 
eternal life. Eternal life. There was no clause put down there. There's no fine writing down at the bottom. You ever watch those commercials on TV for those drugs and down at the bottom is... You can't even see what it says or hear what they're saying when they say it. There's none of that in salvation. It's clean. It's clear. It's crisp. It's right there for us. The truth. And so here's one of the things that people want to say to especially us good old Baptists. Well, you know, you Baptists over there, you believe you can live any old way you want to and stay saved. That's what you all believe, isn't it? Listen, I've been in the ministry for a long time now, about 30 years, and I can tell you this. I have never in my entire life heard one Baptist preacher get behind the pulpit and say, you can get saved and live any old way you want to. I have never heard that preached. I've never heard that taught in any Sunday school class. I've never heard that. I've been through two seminaries. I've never heard it taught in seminary. It's not there. Nobody does that. You know who says that? People that believe you can lose your salvation. Immediately want to start pointing out, well, you think you can live any way you want to and stay saved. Well, listen, the Bible doesn't say we go around living any way we want to, but if we're saved, we ought to want to uh, live in a way pleasing to Christ. But let me set the record straight. If a saved person sins, Sins, they don't lose their salvation. All they do is break fellowship with God. Y'all understand what fellowship is, don't you? It's a time that you're bonding together, that you, it's friendly. You know, we used to have uh, a, what was called a cake fellowship. They wanted to have that every month. And boy, by the time that year ended and we had cake fellowship every month, you know, it was like, we've got to quit doing cake fellowships every month. But, it was a time you come together, everybody's friendly, we're all, you know, uh, bonding together. And so when you get saved, we have this bonding that we do with God. And we keep fellowship with him when we live in a way that's pleasing to him, when we're not out willfully sinning and, and not repenting and things like that. But when we do sin against God, we break that fellowship with him. In other words, that that closeness that we should have with him. Now, we don't lose our salvation, didn't break your salvation. There's no little part in the between where you've got to say, i got to fix this or I won't, I won't stay saved. That's not in there. It's just simply a breaking of fellowship. Now, I can understand this clearly. When I was growing up, I was, I was one mean little boy. And uh, I did everything that I could. If my parents didn't want me to do it, I, I was going to do it. And so... I got whippings more than probably than you all have got hair on your head. I, I can't even remember all the whippings I got. And my dad was no slouch when it came to whippings. He had that big old thick, you know, brown leather belt with a big buckle on it. I'd hear that thing come off of there, and then he'd double it, and he'd go, snap, snap, you know. And then I'd have to bend over, and boy, he would wear me out. Now, if he didn't have the belt on, it was a hot wheel track, it was a two-by-four, it was a limb off a tree, whatever was laying around, I got it, and my backside never forgot it. And by the way, a hot wheel track will leave a track on your backside when you get whipped with it. And so, uh, but I never heard this come out of my dad's mouth. Well, boy, you've done it again. You know what? You're no longer my son. Out of the house, I disowned you. I never heard that, ever. I lived in my parents' house until I was, what, 18 years old. Me and Mary got married right out of high school, but... 18 years I lived there, and I never was disowned. I never was not my dad's son. But you better believe I broke fellowship with him. 
And when I would do something and I knew I'd done it, you know what I did? I avoided that man. I tried to tiptoe around so he didn't know I was anywhere near. I would sneak in, you know, in the, in the cover of night. I would, whatever it took because I didn't want to be around him. And so I was breaking fellowship with him. There was a, a struggle between us. You know, it's that, that feeling you get when, when things aren't right with somebody else. And you know it. There's tension that builds up. Uh, my kids, uh, my oldest daughter is sitting right over here. And she can tell you without a doubt, whenever so, they did something wrong, there was this fellowship that broke. It was a, a, a tense uh, time in the house. And so there was what we call a chastening. What the Bible says is chastening. Hebrews 12 and 7, the Bible says, If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. And so if you are willfully sinning out there in this world and it doesn't bother you a bit, if the Holy Spirit isn't telling you, you know, you're sinning and you're not heartbroken over that sin, then that may mean that you are not saved. If you can sin and it doesn't bother you, then uh, the Bible says that if you're not getting chastened by God, then you don't belong to him. And so we can't maintain a proper relationship with, with God uh, and that fellowship if we're willfully sinning out there in the world of sin, but we're not losing our salvation over it. And so people are saying if God kicks us out of his house, if he's no longer our father when we sin, then they're calling him a deadbeat dad. Is God a deadbeat dad? No, he's not. And uh, look, uh, the Bible goes on to tell us in, in John 10 and 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. There the, that phrase is again, eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never, never, ever perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So there it is. If you've been saved, saved by the blood of Jesus, if you believed in the plan of salvation, you received Christ, you, you repented of your sins and turned to Christ to save you, the Bible says you can't even be plucked out of his hand. It's impossible. You have everlasting eternal life. Uh, another little story before I'm through. When I was a boy growing up, well, let me read Ephesians 1, 12 through 14 first. And this is the reason nobody can pluck you out of God's hand. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted us in Christ, trusted in Christ, and whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of, the, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, there's several things that's mentioned right in there. That, that purchased possession, that's you. Christ purchased you. You are his possession. Now, when you got saved, the gospel of your salvation, the Bible speaks of, the Bible says the Holy Spirit sealed you, sealed you. 
Now, we know in that day, they were, they were probably referring to a king's seal. You know, they put his ring in wax and he'd seal something. And, you know, Christ's tomb, it was sealed with a, a seal around the stone and all that. But here's how my little country mind thinks about that. When I was a boy growing up, we raised our own garden, our vegetables. We raised uh, some, dad grew fruit too, you know, strawberries and peaches and things like that. And we raised hogs and we killed hogs and we made sausage. And so one of the things that my mother spent a lot of time doing was canning. And she had those old ball jars with the lids, you know, and everything, and the pressure cooker, and she would be out there, you know. I, I love to listen to the pressure cooker, you know, so, and watch that steam come out of the top. I always wondered if the lid was going to blow off. But uh, she would take those vegetables, and she would pour that, that steaming hot water over them, put them down in those jars, and put those lids on them, and then pressurize those things. And she would set them out on the counter. She would, she would lay dish towels all over the counter and then put all those jars with those lids on there. And we would sit around, and you know what you would hear? Yeah, that's right. Dink, dink, dink. All those lids would, would seal. And when they sealed, you would hear the little ting of the metal as it went down and sealed. And so when I see this in the Bible about being sealed, I immediately think of that. My mind goes there, and I think that's what's happened to us. God took us. He cleansed us. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he didn't pour hot water over us, but through righteousness, he cleansed us. And then he took that big ball jar lid, put it on there, and sealed us tight. And then, bing, we were, we're all sealed. And the Bible says that's until the redemption of the purchased possession. And so we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So, again, my mind goes back to when I go to heaven and the Lord says, and he takes and goes like that, and you hear that pop. And there I am. I've been sealed the whole time. I didn't lose my salvation. I'm just as clean and righteous as I was the day I was saved. And it's because he kept me. He kept me. And so when, when we accept Christ as our Savior, he moves in our heart. He sterilizes us with his Holy Spirit. Then he seals us and we're forever his. And we stay that day until, as Ephesians 4 and 30 says, we're sealed unto the day of redemption. In Hebrews 7 and 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And Brother Scott, I think you may have sung this before, but we used to sing it a lot. I'm saved to the uttermost. I know that I am washed in the blood of the precious Lamb through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost. I'm saved to the uttermost. I want to ask you this morning, are you saved to the uttermost? Or are you just saved long enough until you sin again and you mess up and then you're unsaved? Is that your belief today? That's not the God of the Bible. God doesn't do that. God doesn't kick you out of his house. He doesn't disown you. And as we finish in closing, let me say this. The only way that you can be saved for eternity, have eternal life, everlasting life, uh, eternal security, as some call it, is that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You received him. Now, 
The Bible tells us this in Romans 10, 9 through 14, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so why do we believe in the Lord Jesus? Because we believe that he can save us. We believe he did what he said he did. He, he hung on a cross and gave his life for us, shed his blood for us, and was buried and rose again in three days, just like he said he would do. And then he went to sit on the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. And so I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. That's simply all we got to do. The Bible says, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. The only reason you would confess him is if you believed in him. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich, and all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved. Not maybe can be saved. Not sometimes can be saved, but shall be saved. Last verse. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Listen, it doesn't specifically mean a pastor or a man that stands behind the pulpit, but that simply means someone who heralds the gospel. That's what a preacher is, someone who heralds the gospel. That could be you giving a Bible tract to someone and saying, this is what salvation means. This is what the Lord... It could be you sharing your testimony. This is what God did for me. I was lost, but I believed in Jesus, and I turned to Him for salvation. I received Him as my Savior, and now I'm saved forever and ever and ever. And the Bible told me it's everlasting life. It's eternal life. And you can have that too. Simply believe in the Lord Jesus. Call on His name and thou shalt be saved. Brother Scott, come get an invitation song. I'd like to ask you this morning if you could please stand. And I want to pray with you. If there's one here today that has not been saved, oh friend, let me tell you, you don't want the consequences. The consequences is spending eternity in hell. And that too is everlasting. And so if you need to be saved or you need just to come and speak to God, maybe you need forgiveness, maybe you just want to rededicate your life, whatever it may be, if you want to come to the altar today, you, you work your way down here as we pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you for the message. Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, your word has went out and, and uh, done a mighty work in the hearts of men and women today that's listening. God, whether it's here in the church or somewhere online, God, or maybe at a later time, God, we just pray, Lord, your word goes out, and we know it doesn't get returned void. God, it'll go out and accomplish that which you please. But, God, I'm praying today for the for the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God, to touch hearts, to touch minds today, God, to show the lost sinner the need for salvation. God, to show that one that is saved that they do have eternal life. They do have everlasting life. God, just make that clear in their heart, Lord. Help them with it today. Lord, if there's one struggling for any reason today, God, would you help them? Lord, just lead them to the altar to, to pray. Lord, to, to get things right, to get their heart clean this morning. Help us, Father, as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. You come down and pray. If you